The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Bootleg Football Podcast. I am Brett Coleman. That is EJ Snyder. As you can see, I am in temporarily sunny Miami before Ian uh, completely overcast the entire state of Florida. He's up in Seattle. So I'm pretty sure this is the farthest possible distance we have ever done bootleg together from. We are literally on opposite corners of the continent of the United States, but that's okay. Because we have come together through the magic of the internet to recap all of the impossibly ugly football that took place on Sunday. It was a wild week of football. It was a stressful week of football. But most importantly, it was a frustrating week of football, even for a lot of winning teams. But we're going to do our best to uh, to find the positives in some of these games, as few as they may be. But before we do all that, EJ, buddy, how you doing? And what are you drinking? I'm drinking coffee because we get to do this in the morning now, which is good times. I am recovering from what was a very odd Sunday of football, and you are not alone. There are a lot of NFL fans who were like, can we just wipe this whole weekend away and start over next week? Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks. It was not a great clean amazing week but we are going to sift through all of that find some of the positives some of the great performances some of the highlights uh, among the many lowlights so what are you drinking first thing in well middle of the day in miami for you uh fun fact i could not unfortunately source uh liquor in time for this episode especially for shot of the week so i too am on coffee even though it's noon here it's 9 a.m for you it's noon here so theoretically i should be drinking but i promise i tried but unfortunately, could not find any liquor in time. So we're both uh, having a weirdly sober episode this week. We don't intend to make that the norm. But anyway, here we go. Uh, news and notes. Top priority of the show. We actually do have some legitimate news to talk about. The, uh, the NFL announced this morning that the Pro Bowl, as we know it, is no more. They are ditching the Pro Bowl game. And they're going strictly to a skills competition and flag football game starting this year, which I have to imagine is because players kept not showing up, or if they did show up, they barely tried because nobody wanted to get hurt. Everybody saw what happened to, honestly, not just Tyler Eifert, but numerous players over the years that, you know, are maybe in contract years and had 
great years going into the offseason. They're about to get paid, and then they go to the Pro Bowl, and they get injured, and they lose a lot of money. Tyler Eifert's career, which was a very promising one, most recent, most recent example I could think of, uh, his career was arguably ruined by the Pro Bowl, where he had a all-pro caliber season, went to that game, completely screwed up his ankle, and and that was that. You know, like he 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 was really never the same after that. Um, and so they they're kind of getting rid of that because a lot of players just do not try at the Pro Bowl. They're going strictly skills competition, and then kind of just a little fun flag football game. I kind of feel like this was necessary and also coming for a long time and also probably should have happened a while ago. Yeah, I feel like we're with the meme with the guy with the stick and the dead horse going, <laughs> do something. The NFL has been trying everything to modify the Pro Bowl to make it palatable, like not even good or exciting, just just palatable. Like it, they've been really sort of kicking this can down the road easing it along and they finally just pulled it off life support and said it's dead nobody likes it nobody wants to show up for it nobody wants to play nobody really wants to watch it we should do something more fun and this has been loud in the wings for at least a couple of years i'm glad they went with the skills competition they've done these in the past they are fun and i think more people will legitimately watch that the chances of getting injured are much much lower not zero but much, much lower. And frankly, the players deserve that after a long season. More games. We're going to talk about injuries as a major factor this week. There have been a lot this year. It's a longer season all the time. Adding one more thing, people might say, oh, it's just one more thing. Yeah, one more thing in this case is the straw that was breaking the camel's back, and we don't we don't need that anymore. So we'll see how this works. I kind of almost wish they didn't do the flag football, you know, unless it was like, flag football with kids a la Peyton Manning commercial now that might be interesting <laughs> beating the shit out of 12 year olds <laughs> or maybe a mascot game would be more fun I think it would be more fun I don't know uh, Poe tore his ACL a couple weeks ago, I know so I know that's kind Inju of a hazard too injuries all over the place but the skills competition will be cool um it is in Vegas I hope that means players will come because they do deserve recognition for a Pro Bowl season Pro Bowl's you can argue about the merits of the Pro Bowl we'll do that later it happens every year but uh, in terms of the game itself, this was the right move. Yeah, I think it was a long time coming, and I think we'll probably see more players show up as a result, which is kind of what the league wants because it's a giant autograph signing you know, opportunity and picture opportunity for fans, and it's all about fan outreach. The more players that show up, the better. So uh, I think that's kind of the goal here. Uh, second little bit of news, this one decidedly less fun. Um, this has to do with the game that I was at yesterday. Obviously, I'm in Miami because I was at Bill's Dolphins. The NFLPA and NFL are launching a joint investigation into the events that led to Tua uh, taking the field again in the second half. And if, if you watched the game and you saw the video of him struggling to get up and then stumble, it was a it was hard to watch. B, I can understand why a lot of fans are saying, why the hell was he let back into the game? Now, Ian Rappaport, for what it's worth, did put out a tweet yesterday who said, "My and I'm quoting here, my understanding of the Tua Tagovailoa situation, he tweaked his back in the first quarter on a sneak and did not miss time. After the Matt Milano hit, his back locked up again, leading to him wobbling into the locker room for a full con uh, full concussion check. He was fully cleared. Now he's on the field. I get it. 
but at the same time, just watching the video, I can also understand why the NFLPA is like, guys, we need we need to look at what happened here because I've seen I've seen what happens when a back locked up. Like my back has locked up. It didn't quite look like that. So I think it's worth checking into. I'm not saying the, the Dolphins did anything nefarious. I'm not saying that Tua actually did have a concussion. But I do think opening the investigation is warranted just to see what actually happened there. Because it didn't, at least based on optics, it didn't look good. It looked terrible. And it was, I was amazed. I was watching all the games. And I looked back up to see him re-entering the game and thought, what the hell kind of tissue paper concussion test did they throw at him? You know, what color is your uniform? He looked down, said white, and they let him back in the game. I don't, I don't think this is right. The back explanation falls sort of on deaf ears. I've seen lots of people concussed. Um, I've been concussed, unfortunately. It's not fun. And usually your back locking up doesn't cause you to lose equilibrium. And his head bounced off the turf when Milano pushed him. It was a pretty innocuous play. Two hands to the chest, shoved him, rolled up on his back, but basically his head whiplashed to the turf, back of his helmet hit the turf, and bounced pretty well. That's very emblematic of the type of an action that causes a concussion. Your brain accelerates inside your skull faster than the fluid can break it. Basically, brain goes bonk off the back of the skull. You get concussion symptoms. He stood up. He was wobbly. He almost fell. It's classic concussion stuff. He leaves. He comes back on the field, plays well enough for them to win, and then this explanation comes out after the game says, his back. And I'm like... His back may well have been hurt. I'm not going to say anything about his back. What happened right after he bounced his head off the turf for everybody to see? And then started shaking his head like... <laughs> was not back-related from yeah. what I can tell. I've seen lots of guys get concussions and wobble like that directly afterwards. That means, hey, man, sit down. Let's wait for everything to stabilize, everything we know about concussions... If you get one immediately after having one, and immediately can be anywhere from minutes to weeks to months, brains are very funny in how they heal. If you get, if you stack concussions, the damage increases sometimes exponentially. So it's a very critical period to sort of safeguard somebody's brain health and say, hey, let's figure out what's going on here before we just throw you back out there with 300 pounders that are trying to drive you into the turf. I think the investigation is warranted. I don't really like the back explanation. I would rather they just say, hey, we realize it didn't look good. We want to get to the bottom of this. We're going to look into it. That would be better in my mind than saying, oh, no, no, it was a hangnail. He's fine. Um, so uh, it was not a good look. I'm, I was worried when he came back in the game, quite frankly, because, you know, guys that wobble like that can't stand up, shouldn't be in NFL football games for a little bit. That's just the gig. Um, obviously had an effect on the outcome of a very big game for the week, which we'll talk about in a bit, but uh, the investigation's warranted. We'll see what happens with it. I just want to clarify, we're not saying that they didn't test him. What I'm saying is that it's very possible that the independent neurologist that was on site 
who did test him possibly didn't get it correctly. And I want to bring up a tweet from Emmanuel Acho. I don't agree with Emmanuel Acho a lot, but on this one, he does have <laughs> personal experience where he said, and I quote, uh, I passed a concussion test once. I finished playing in the game. I flew home. I drove to my neighborhood, and then I had no idea which house was mine. So it's very possible that he did get tested, and they got it wrong, hence why the investigation is happening. So you know, yeah, if you've I'm not ever... saying Dolphins did anything bad. I'm just no. saying they might have got it wrong. We're not saying nefarious, but um, for those of you that have had concussions, they are odd. It's one of the oddest injuries. It is an injury to your brain, and and things come in and out. Um, I put out a tweet yesterday that said the chances that Tua remembers the second half of that game, not very good, like not all of it, um, certainly not in detail. You think you're okay in the moment. People can ask you a series of questions, and you can answer correctly. And minutes, hours, even sometimes days later, things can get fuzzy and then come back into focus like Manuel Acho's story. So, um it's a very difficult thing. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not saying they circumvented it on purpose or endangered Tua's health on purpose. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is head injuries are really funny, and they need to take another look. I know they took a strong look a few years ago, and they've continued to improve helmet safety and everything else. This is just one more time when everybody says, hey, we need to take a step back. This guy was obviously injured in one way or another, we need to make sure that we're not subjecting him to a much higher chance of repeat injury by letting Marie into the game. So we should have the results of said investigation. I assume in one to two weeks is what they're speculating. We'll see if they even announce what it, what it was. I don't know. I, I only have like 40% confidence we'll even learn what the conclusion <laughs> is, to be perfectly honest. But they said it could take one to two weeks. Uh, now, last little bit of news. Entirely different tone. I actually hit a 5 out of 5, EJ. I finally did it. I finally hit my 5 out of 5. If you guys were watching our stream last Thursday during the Steelers-Browns game, uh, it has been a struggle. <laughs> it has been a struggle, not just this year, uh, but most years, for me to actually hit 5 out of 5 on a full slip, and I finally did it live on stream. Um, if, if any of you were tailing that prize pick slip, by the way, you also hit 5 out of 5, and I think got a 10 times payout for it, so... You're welcome for me finally getting lucky. But on that slip, I had Nick Chubb over 89.5 total yards, which seems easy by his standards. I had Amari over 45.5. I had Jacoby Brissett over 185.5 passing and rushing combined. I had Deontay Johnson over 55.5, which, again, is like easy money at this point. And then Fryermuth was the one I was sweating. I didn't get that one until like the last two minutes where he had a goose egg for 95% of the game. I had him over 35.5. And then all of a sudden, you know, Mitch just started throwing up desperation heaves uh, to Pat. And that's all I needed to get that five out of five. So it was, a, it was a hilariously lucky game for me. But what I wanted to take away from that slip, if we're going to slip a little analysis into this, is I want to talk about Jacoby Brissett and the predictability of the Steelers defense. And I kind of highlighted this on the whiteboard during the stream. So if you watch that stream, you already know this. And if you didn't watch that stream, come by this Thursday stream because I'm going to be doing the same type of stuff. But for people that just want the quick recap, the Steelers' first down defense is somewhere between 35 and 40% cover one. Like that is what they do on first down. 
and they do that so that they can just shoot gaps in the run game and try to get TFLs and try to get tackles for no gain and set up second and long. When they're actually in second and long or second down obvious passing situations, like say uh, if you're in a two-minute drill or something like that, they're overwhelmingly going to play cover two. Like that is the main coverage they play in obvious passing situations like that one. And so when Jacoby Brissett was marching down the field and hitting David Njoku and then David Njoku and then David Njoku, we pointed out in real time that one of the weaknesses of cover two is that you could potentially get your number three, counting outside in one, two, three, which oftentimes is going to be David Njoku, matched up with either an option route or a whip route or something of that nature on a Mike linebacker that has absolutely no prayer of stopping that type of pass when the quarterback just has to throw against leverage. And there's not a whole lot of one-on-one opportunities in cover two, but that is the one-on-one because there's no other help available. The safeties are deep. There's no bracket of the number three. Tom Brady, New England got a million Super Bowls just off of that, you know, working against leverage from linebackers in cover two. And so we pointed that out in real time and how predictable this Steelers defense was and it kind of occurred to me that that T.J. Watt stat of the Steelers literally can't win a game when T.J. Watt's there, or T.J. Watt's not there, it made me think that they've gotten away with being predictable because they've just been able to out-talent everyone. You take their best talent off the field, and they can no longer just out-talent you, and they are so predictable that even the Browns, who are dealing with a whole bunch of injuries themselves, and they're on their second quarterback, and everything that could have possibly gone wrong for them in the last three months has. Even they were able to march down the field in a two-minute situation because the Steelers can no longer out-talent people. And I think that is a massive problem that maybe people aren't talking about as much as they should because they are way too predictable right now for me to think that they can compete with not just the Browns, but the top dogs in the conference. They've shown that they are a team that is going to present (laughs) what they're doing to everybody. They are not, and we talked about this live during the stream as well, that this is not a fool you kind of team, mostly on offense or defense. There was a little bit, Matt Canada's thrown some wrinkles in on offense, but on defense specifically, this is a, we're going to line it up. You're going to know pre-snap what we're doing, and we're going to we're gonna basically just beg you to beat us with talent knowing full well. We're going to, you know, out-talent and out-execute you. Out-physical if we need to, but this is straight up. This is a guy standing up and going, hit me right here. Let's go. And that is the Steelers, and that works when you have Cam Hayward and T.J. Watt and Mika Fitzpatrick and, you know, when – going back a little bit when they had Ryan Shazier to cover that Mm -hmm. middle lane in cover two. It was very difficult, even though you knew exactly what it was pre-snap to get one over on them. Now, they don't have the same amount of pass rush. Their linebackers are okay, like they imported Miles Jack, and that's good. He's got some of that talent to be able to maintain that gap in the middle of cover two, but not always. And quarterbacks have long known how to beat cover two quarterbacks and offensive coordinators. And if they know you're going to be in it, that just gives them a chance all week to draw up a bunch of cover two beaters. And that's seam routes of one type or another. And for the Browns on Thursday night, it was David and Joku over and over again. 
So it's one of those schematic and sort of structural personnel things that are fascinating to me and I, th I think to you as well of how teams are built and locked together and how they break down. And when things aren't working, is it scheme? Is it players? Is it both? Is it one supporting the other? Is it something they were counting on that they lost and they don't adjust? Uh, we see lots of teams that don't adjust in the NFL. So it was a it was a sort of classic version of that playing out in real time. We had a ton of fun with it on the stream. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, swing by on Thursday. We'll do more. Yeah, and it's actually going to be on uh, this Thursday game is uh, Bengals-Dolphins, which are two teams that, uh, A, you saw with me live a couple weeks ago with the Bengals-Cowboys game, and then I just watched the Dolphins live yesterday. Day. Yeah, because we're recording this Monday, so yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> time is relative at this point, EJ. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we've done a lot of work, and we've watched a lot of tape on both these teams on Thursday. So I think it's going to be a good broadcast just because we're so familiar with what they do and what they do well and what they obviously don't do well. Uh, cough, cough, Bengals pass protection. So, uh, again, come by on Thursday for that stream. Once again, brought to you by Prize Picks. We're going to be doing slips again before the game, trying to do the impossible hitting two five out of fives in back-to-back -back weeks for those juicy uh, 10x payouts. We'll see what we can get. But even if we only get four out of five, we still make money. So we're probably safe regardless, but either way, come by on Thursday, watch the live show. It's going to be fun. Uh, all right, EJ, with that, let's get to three up. All right, three up number one. Dolphins get Mike McDaniel a signature win in Miami. They are 3-0, and uh, at least as far as record goes, the best team in the NFL. Whether or not they're actually the best team, we'll wait for January to sort that out. But uh, as of right now, they've had an incredibly strong start. Uh, you know, They beat Bill Belichick and John Harbaugh back-to-back -back and then beat arguably the best team in the league in Buffalo. I want to start off by saying, yes, if you're a Bills fan, we get it. They were down a shitload of starters, and the heat played a big factor. I was there. I felt it, and I was in the shade, and it was still hot. I can only imagine with the sun actually beating down on you for three and a half hours what it was like. It seemed like in the second half of the game, every 30 seconds, there was a training timeout because of a player going down cramping. It was insane when you combine the elements and the players that were already hurt before the game even happened they were down 80 percent of their secondary and by the end of the game they only had 40 percent of their starting offensive line all that being said this was still a great performance by miami and i don't think that all of the difficulties that buffalo had should cheapen this win in any way because Miami also had their own injuries to deal with. Like, their offensive line was also not healthy. Their quarterback, as we mentioned before, may not have been healthy in the second half. We'll wait for the results of that investigation if we ever get it. Worst case scenario, he was playing through a head injury. Best case scenario, he was playing through a back injury, which is also not easy to do. So something was going on with the Dolphins starting quarterback as well. Not to mention the fact that they only had 20 minutes of time of possession in Miami. So they had to score, uh, what was it, 21 points in 20 minutes. Buffalo had the ball for 40 minutes and only got 17 offensive points. Like, this was a Herculean effort by the Dolphins' defense to match up with a very potent Bills offense 
you know, Josh Allen had over 70 dropbacks, which is ridiculous and also way too imbalanced by my taste. I know that they struggled to run the ball. I, I don't care. You got to do, you got to at least keep some semblance of balance in this game. You know, give your offensive line a break from having to pass off stunts every five seconds and picking up blitzes. Like, just let them run block a little bit to recharge their batteries or something. It's 100 fucking degrees on that field. Give them something to work with. So I feel like they were very imbalanced. The secondary for the Dolphins had to hold up in almost impossible situations and scenarios. And they did it. They held that Bills team to 17 points. You know, they limited explosive plays. They knew that they were going to try to go deep, and they just wouldn't let them go deep. Um, you know, they held them in the red zone. They did a phenomenal job, all things considered, and I think that they earned the win. Was it a clean win? Was it not an ugly win? No, obviously. It was not a dominant performance. But they survived. And against Buffalo, against a team like that, just surviving is really all you can hope for. So if they're going into the playoffs with a 1-1 split with arguably the best team in the entire league, I would say that's a success, excuse me, and I think that Buffalo deserves their flowers for playing well enough to win the game. It wasn't Buffalo losing it, it was Miami winning it, and I think that's a very important distinction. It is. This is a puncher's chance game. Buffalo is a juggernaut. I do not have any reservations about saying that, and I might feel even more strongly about saying it after a loss yesterday. And that's a weird thing, but again, they were down a ton of starters. It was hot. All the things that Buffalo fans are going to say, you beat our backups by two, don't celebrate. Like, Bills fans, relax. Like, it's fine. Your team is incredibly powerful and even not at full strength went in and almost beat another team. But when I say puncher's chance game, Bills fans also need to look in the mirror and say, we had every chance to win this game. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You mentioned time of possession. Bills, 40 minutes. Dolphins, 19 minutes. Literally twice as much. More plays. Bills had 90 Dolphins 39 more pass yards 380 for the Bills only 171 for the Dolphins rush yards 115 for the Bills yes they struggled to win but they went over the century mark rushing Dolphins 41 more third down conversions Buffalo 11 Miami 3 more fourth down conversions Buffalo 2 Miami 0 but mm-hmm. this is the puncher's chance game this is if you're into boxing this is one guy beating the other guy up for eight, nine rounds, and the guy that just got his face knocked in, hitting the uppercut, walking away with the victory, right? And everybody can say, look, the other guy won the fight. No, he didn't, right? (laughs) He did everything he needed to do to win the fight, but he didn't win the fight. He ended up on the canvas, and the W goes to the guy standing at the end of the game. So Miami deserves being the guy that got beat up for this whole game in time of possession and run yards and pass yards and conversions and everything else, but holding the line and keeping themselves in a place to win the game at the end. And they did. And like you said, even if they split, that's a really good result. We predicted that that would be an excellent result for Miami when we did our preseason preview edition saying, look, the Bills are a Super Bowl favorite and kind of a heavy Super Bowl favorite. If the Dolphins, with a new coach and a newly remodeled offense and everything else, split with them, 
that's good. So the fact that they took the game that they needed to at home with the weather advantage, and I get that. Somebody made a really good point on Twitter, by the way. They said, if we don't get shade, they don't get heaters when they come. Explain it to me. <laughs> Explain it to me like I'm five. And I was like... That's actually a really interesting point. I was like, good point. You can put them out in the frozen tundra and say, sorry. But here's the thing. You know why they don't get shade? There's a rule that if one team uh, doesn't use tarps, Mm -hmm. the other one can't either. Obviously, Miami sideline doesn't need it, so they don't use them. So Buffalo's not allowed to. So they have to erect these kind of like makeshift mesh kind of shade things that have these yeah. fans blowing the mitt. Like, they get shade, but not really. They don't yeah. get, like, hard shade. Um, but that being said, because of those rules, if Miami doesn't get heaters in December or whenever they play in Buffalo, technically speaking, Buffalo doesn't get them either. Yeah. So. I know. You, get, I under- you know, it's a tough I under- choice. It's a tough I choice. understand. Hard shade. That's what we're going to throw at the Bears later. Hard shade. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> but interesting game. I understand that Buffalo fans are upset. Don't be your team is still an absolute powerhouse and easily could have won this game. Had way more chances to win this game, quite frankly. Miami fans, be proud of the win. You earned a very tough win over a extremely tough division opponent at home when you needed to have it in a scrappy but, hey, you're 3-0 and type way. And that is a huge building block for McDaniel. We talked about last week's win being a, hey, do you believe we were down and we came back and we won? That was last week. This week, we took on Goliath, one of the best constructed and most favored teams in the NFL, and we beat them at home regardless. Like, you play the games on grass for a reason. On paper, the Bills whooped them. In the score column, Dolphins come away with the W. And I think, honestly, one of the best stats to represent that Dolphins secondary in, in terms of how they kind of carried this team to a win and really, <laughs> talking about boxing metaphors, punched above their weight. Yes. You look at Javon Holland, everything that he did in that game, three pressures, a sack and a half, a forced fumble, two pass breakups, played every single defensive snap, which was 91 snaps. Ah. The Bills ran 50 more plays than the Dolphins and put up 17 points, offensively speaking. They they got the two from the butt punt, which, by the way, the Bills also had the butt punt go in their favor, and then they forced a kickoff with like a a minute and a half remaining or whatever. Then it's like, okay, get to the 40, and you can win the game. Then they had a crucial penalty that backed up to a second and 20, and then the receiver doesn't get out of bounds, and Ken Dorsey's throwing his tablet. Like, they had every chance to still win this thing and just couldn't do it so i get it bills fans are going to be really upset and they're going to say well in so and so circumstances we win that nine out of ten times you're correct you're absolutely correct you know who also wins nine out of ten times probably the chiefs yesterday but they had Special teams mishaps. They had a muff punt that led to a touchdown, and then Sky Moore let another one go to the one-yard line, and then they had a, a missed extra point and a missed field goal, and then they went for a fake because they didn't trust their backup kicker, which then, you know, it, they lost like seven points on special teams, up to 14, arguably, on special teams alone. And they lost. And they say, well, if we have Harrison Bucker, we win nine out of ten times. You're right. You lost. It happens. It's the NFL. 
Come back next week and prove that you're the better team. And by January, you'll get another shot at Miami to, to prove it. I think it's the same thing for both the Chiefs and the Bills this week. Don't disagree at all. Injuries are always a factor. Um, weather is always a factor. It's a strange phenomenon in the NFL that people are suddenly acting like weather differences are an advantage for one team when both teams play on the same field. Like Weather's been part of the NFL since it started. It's less a part. Fans are less used to it with more covered stadiums, more dome stadiums, better field surfaces that don't turn into absolute slop fests when it rains typically. Um, all of those things have lessened the impact of weather, but uh, we saw in the Thursday night game in our live stream, there was good wind in Cleveland. Like there are missed kicks in, in the, you know, in the Browns or in the Pittsburgh Browns game because the, the wind was blowing, right? They're mm -hmm. by the lake. The wind was blowing. Like, that has an effect. And you can say, oh, if there's no wind, we make the kick, we win the game. Well, that's true, but there was wind. There are injuries. These things happen, and you line up on the field and play them for a reason. And on this particular Sunday, people say any given Sunday, on this particular Sunday, the Dolphins come away with a W. Was it close? It was real close. It was razor thin. But – you know, nobody's going to look at that in 20 years and say, oh, it was razor thin and that should have been a build. Like, people don't do that. You either get the W or you don't. The Dolphins got it. They earned it. It was a really tough game. Guys like Javon Holland, who we've been a stand of since he was drafted or even before, made a huge difference in that game. Players make plays. And, you know, Josh Allen made a ton of plays. He's ridiculous. Like, if you watch that game, there was at least three plays in that game where I was like, what i sent yeah. you a dm when he like free rusher just bounces off him like he gets a free rusher and he doesn't even like try and avoid him he just kind of puts his shoulder down and goes doink and then goes on about his business finishes the play that's not normal like you still have amazing players on both sides but the bottom line dolphins line up they earned a win they've got it bills have to sort of lick their wounds, get healthy, wait for the rematch, and blow them off the field if they really believe that's their destiny for the season. Go prove it. And I, I would not be surprised if in the rematch they do blow them off the field because if they're healthy, they're good enough to do that. But Easily. it'll still be a season split. Uh, all right, speaking of blowing teams off the field, uh, the <laughs> Eagles, good Lord. Uh, there's nothing wrong with this team right now. The offensive line is kicking ass. The defensive line is kicking ass. Jalen Hurts, it, like, I thought he was going to be good. I didn't even see this coming. Like, this is, he is one of the five best quarterbacks in the league in the first three weeks of the season. And five might even be underselling it. <laughs> like, he has been phenomenal for the Eagles. They have great receiving weapons. They got A.J. Brown. They got Devonta Smith. They got Goddard. Uh, they got a, a, a very deep stable of running backs, secondaries playing out of their mind. I mean, defensive line got nine sacks and forced eight punts. Brandon Graham had a renaissance day with two and a half. Fletcher Cox was just collapsing the pocket every single play. Josh Sweat looked like the Josh Sweat we thought we were getting. Um, he, they, they were just phenomenal. And I understand that Carson Wentz was horrible and probably caused at least four of those sacks by himself because he can't feel pressure at all. But even beyond the contributions to the Eagles' defense that Carson Wentz made, they still, as a unit, played out of their minds. And I think that they are the, the NFC mirror image of Buffalo right now, which is when they're healthy, they are a threshing machine of the highest caliber. And right now, I think they got the inside track for 
for kind of you know maybe getting the first seed here because right now I don't I don't see any other team in the NFC that's that's that good. Fly Eagles fly! It's time to talk about this team. This team is beating people up right now. At one point, uh, you know the Commanders had dropped back ten times, and the Eagles had five sacks. They had a fifty percent sack rate. You're not even talking about pass rush win rate. You're talking about put them on the ground. That's insane. Fifty percent of the time. Like, you can't run an offense in that case. Like, if one out of every two dropbacks results in a sack, which is an explosive defensive play, you're done. Like, I don't care what else you have or the fact that you've got great receivers like Terry McLaurin and, you know, Carson Wentz hit him later in garbage time and it was beautiful. It doesn't matter when the defense is playing at that level. And the secondary behind them is not being protected. They're just as aggressive and making just as many plays. So you combine that with an offense that is loaded and a trigger man that is uh, operating in an extremely high level right now. Jalen Hurts looks cool, calm, collected, smooth. He's hitting open guys. He's running when he needs to, but not when he doesn't, which is fantastic for the Eagles because that is a weapon, but he's not relying on it as his first, second, or even third option. Instead, he's getting the ball on time, accurately, into the hands of his playmakers. He made some really tough throws, too. He made some real trust throws with his receivers yesterday. That trust is starting to build. We talk about gelling and whatever else. He saw his guys one-on-one with leverage, and sometimes 1.5-on-one with leverage and let it go yesterday. And that, that, Devonta Smith, that Devonta Smith seam ball is what you're talking about, I assume? Well, he had one to Smith which was, hey, man, he's covered, and Hertz was like, he's not covered. He's going to get it, and that was that one. <laughs> he did. But, you know, he's doing that with everybody they've added, and he's doing it first. Instead, he's showing great confidence in his teammates right now, and as a quarterback, that's sort of the highest plane of existence, not saying, hey, I've got to do it myself, or I should dump it off, or I'm not sure, or that might be a pick for me. Nope. He's cutting it loose with anticipation and saying, my guys, one-on-one, that means he's going to win if I put the ball here. And he's putting the ball there, and the guy is winning, and that is just sort of an encapsulation of the Philadelphia team right now. They're rolling on offense, rolling on defense. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about them. And Devonta Smith, we just need to talk about individually. Like, the team is doing great. <laughs> Devonta Smith went off. Eight for 169 yards. That's 21.1 per and a touchdown and a bunch of what I would call signature or highlight plays. Two or three of those plays were, whoa, wow, okay. And we liked Devonta Smith when he came out. And I'm sorry, but he's too skinny will always make me laugh. Always, (laughs) always, always. Because if you watched his film in college, yeah, he was incredibly skinny and he was still roasting the entire SEC at will. Like, He could get a catch whenever he wanted to. And those are all the corners that then go populate the NFL. So why wouldn't he be able to beat them then, too? He is developing. He's developing a great chemistry with Hurst. But it was a tremendous individual effort by him. Um, And Jalen Hurts, man, we've talked about it. Slow, relentless pursuit of improvement. I don't want to say perfection because I don't think he would either. He's just right there, and we've seen fits and starts, but always little bit by little bit, like water on a rock, just dripping, 
knocking a hole in that thing. And, you know, yesterday, 22 of 35, 340 and three TDs. Like, that's winning football in the NFL. And if your defense is playing as well as Philadelphia's is right now, good luck. Yeah, no, it, it, it is a true every phase is dominant type team. There is no weakness. There is no, well, maybe they're not. Like, no, this is not, like, even compared to Buffalo, as great as Buffalo is, maybe the best team in the league. Buffalo is not balanced. Like, they don't run the ball consistently well. That was probably a big reason why, uh, you know, Josh Allen had to, to carry the team so much is because they just, they didn't believe that their mostly backup offensive line could run the ball, but still somehow believe that they could pass protect 70 times which is kind of an oxymoron to me because if you don't think your <laughs> offensive line is good enough to run block, they're definitely not good enough to fucking pass protect 70 times, but whatever. My point is Buffalo is not a balanced team. They run, on offense at least, almost entirely through Josh Allen. That is not the case at Philadelphia. They can kind of do a whole bunch of different stuff and win a whole variety of ways where even if Jalen's not having a superhero-type day, you know they, they can still beat you up both defensively and with the ground game and their good special teams unit. Like it is a complete, complete football team that uh, I just, I, I don't see an equal for right now. Um, three up number two, <laughs> speaking of a complete football team, the Jaguars absolutely dominated the chargers in virtually every single way. Uh, Trevor Lawrence is looking like the Trevor Lawrence. We thought we were going to get out of Clemson before urban Meyer completely derailed his rookie season. His arm talent is insane. He's incredibly accurate. He is poised under pressure. He is mobile. He is everything to the point where when Justin Herbert was on the field and, you know, Justin Herbert's making insane Justin Herbert throws like that one where he's rolling to his right and 55 yards in the air back across his body because he's a fucking superhero and he can do that kind of stuff. A lot of the throws that Trevor Lawrence was making just looked like Justin Herbert with long hair. Like, it looked like a mirror image. I'm like, okay, Jacksonville's got their alien quarterback. It, they have, for the first time, maybe in franchise history, they have a quarterback that I would put up against the best of the best in the league and think that you have a shot. Not to mention the fact that James Robinson looks all the way back. You know, the receiving core, which we lambasted in the offseason saying they got a whole bunch of number twos, but they don't got a number one. Well, guess what? They're making it work. Christian Kirk is actually playing up to his contract so far, which is not what I expected going into this year. But here we are. They've done a great job with him. Um, you know, ETN's had some nice plays. The defensive line or really defensive front in general. I mean, talk about. Uh, you know, making people eat their words, not our words. You and I loved the, the Trayvon Walker pick at number one overall. A lot of people did not. We said, just wait until he plays in a defense that actually lets him be the star of the show, you know, lets him be Batman and not Robin. Well, they're letting him be Batman and he's living up to it. He's looked phenomenal for them. Devin Lloyd, one of our favorites as well, has looked great for them. This defense is fast and aggressive. The quarterback is pulling the trigger. I think this is a, a better football team than even we gave credit for. Like, we were, we were optimistic. I'll use the word optimistic about where they were heading as a franchise this summer. We didn't think that they were going to be this good this early, though. And I'm, I'm starting to think that 
you know, this coming Sunday night, Jaguars-Eagles could be a lot more important game than maybe we thought it was going to be two months ago. Or at least a good game. Two months ago, we probably thought, hmm, Eagles are probably going to take them. We, we were both very high on the Eagles prospects this year. If you go back and watch our predictions, I think I had them going to the Super Bowls, the NFC representative as a wild card. Um, so we, we thought the Eagles were going to be really good. We hoped the Jaguars were going to be a lot better than they were, which we didn't see any way they could be worse. And I think what we're seeing is this team is so freaking happy right now. Mm-hmm. Like they are playing so loose. They're like, literally we got out of football hell and <laughs> we are going to show everybody that we are so thrilled and so thankful And Trevor's like, yeah, this is the thing. This is what I can do. And what he's really doing with that receiving core that we weren't super solid on its construction because we like varied skill sets and we looked across the board and we saw a lot of similar skill sets. He'll hit anybody, anytime. He is one of those quarterbacks that doesn't pick favorites. And if a guy is open, he can physically get him the ball and he can mentally get him the ball. Like he understands that that guy's open and he has no compunction about throwing that guy open throwing to the uncovered guy, throwing to the fourth option if he needs to. He can get there, and he can do it physically. So the bottom line is you got to cover them all. They might all be twos in our mind, but one of the twos is going to be open because he's on a number four corner, and Trevor will hit him. And then you're like, now what do we do? And it almost is a – it's almost something that sets the defense back. There isn't one guy to shut down and say, we're going to force you to all those other receivers you don't like. He likes them all. And he's going to hit them all. He looks amazing right now. Zay Jones, who's a guy that I've liked in his subsequent stops. I liked him pre-draft. It didn't work out in his first couple of stops. He goes to the Raiders, shows that he still has it, comes to the Jaguars, and now it's it's a renaissance. Like, he had a ton of catches yesterday. Um, Jones had 10. Kirk had 6. Marvin Jones Jr. had 4. Like, again, the ball's getting spread all over the place. And, oh, by the way, we're going to hand it to James Robinson, and he's going to look like James Robinson before an Achilles injury and just run all over you. Not an easy combination to stop. You talked about the defense. You said, you know, the defensive line. We didn't even talk about Josh Allen for them. Um, but their front seven is really playing well. And I was super high on their linebacking core because Foye Olakun uh, was – one of the guys that I really wanted in free agency, he shows up there and they draft Devin Lloyd. And Devin Lloyd starts quietly, and yesterday was his coming out day. He only had five tackles. He had a ton of impact. He had an INT. He did all the things that he did in college that made me say he's one of the most versatile, and he was my ILB1 because of that variety of skill set. And we saw it all yesterday. So it's not just the defensive line, which is playing amazing and putting people under pressure. Linebackers are cleaning up everything underneath and they did so yesterday and it made it really difficult for an offense to say hey we just want this to get going right we just want this little slant we just want this little hook all those they were like nope we're gonna snuff all that stuff you're either gonna have to try and go deep one-on-one or run the ball good luck on either we're not gonna give you any of that little sort of gimme intermediate stuff and all of a sudden you kind of sit back and go whoa this is the fully operational jacksonville team you got a quarterback that's just hitting on all cylinders All the offensive pieces are playing complimentary football. And, oh, yeah, when we hand it back to the defense, they're coming for you, and they have plenty of athletic talent to pay that off. They're past being a tough out. If they play like they played yesterday, they're going to be really tough to beat. Right now they're in first place in the AFC South, and 
quite frankly, I think they're the best team in the AFC South. So I, I think we might maybe possibly are a year early uh, on the on the recovery timeline for Jacksonville here. A very similar story. I don't know if they have the juice to go all the way, but a very similar story to Cincinnati last year where it was like, okay, we thought they were going to be good eventually, but they're a year early, and then they go to the Super Bowl. And, you know, they have, a, again, number former number one overall draft pick alien quarterback. And, you know, yeah. I, Let's put one thing to bed. The the second-year quarterback debate, it's pretty much over. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was a whole, hey, like, Mac Jones had a great first year, and it was a situation thing, and Trevor had a terrible first year, and it was a situation thing, and Justin Fields, it was a situation thing. Like, what's going to happen in year two? We're going to talk about Justin in a minute. Mac is mm, not benefiting from the loss of his offensive coordinator. Let's just put it that it's way. It's a very generous way it's, to say it's it. It's as yeah. generous as I can get on a Monday morning. And Trevor is benefiting greatly from having an offensively-minded head coach who is willing to let him do all the things that he can do. Right now, the second-year quarterback debate is over. It's Trevor and then a huge gap. Like, oh, monster gap. Trevor, Trevor is sitting atop the mountain, and nobody else is really close right now. Um, which was what a lot of people thought pre-draft. And then we had all these strange situations where Mac got sort of artificially inflated a little bit, still a good quarterback. This is not an anti-Mac Jones rant, but people were saying, including us, hey, he had the best rookie year. Is he the best quarterback from that class? We'll see this year. No, Trevor is atop that mountain and sitting comfortably there by himself. But it's also a testament to you know what we talk about uh, what we talked about on this show uh, in the offseason and also I did a whole film room on it before the draft last draft season which is the number one factor that determines quarterback success is where they go who is coaching them who's around them what is the culture like how are they being developed who is working with them Trevor Lawrence last year in a bad environment was a bad quarterback Trevor Lawrence this year in a good environment with a good support system and good coaches and more investment in the weapons. And, you know, we can talk about how they invest in the weapons, but they at least invested in the weaponry and they've invested in the offensive line. They've done everything possible to resurrect his situation compared to what it was last year. And he looks really fucking good. So I'm, I'm sorry. I think that backs up the point that you can have a very talented quarterback and Trevor was one of the most talented prospects ever. But if you're not in a good situation, you're not going to succeed. And so I kind of, you know, take that lens and I look at Mac Jones. Different situation this year, different play caller, doesn't look the same. Um, I look at Justin Fields. Different situation that so far hasn't looked great. And we'll, we're going to talk about that in our next segment. But he hasn't really taken that leap yet. You know, Trey Lance, unfortunately, because of the injury, we will never know, at least not this year, what was ahead of him. And then Zach Wilson as well. Like, he hasn't come back yet, so we haven't seen them. But... Like so far, the evidence of situation is the main thing that matters. Uh, I I kind of feel like that's more true than ever. One hundred percent. You have to have both. We talked about it last week. That you have to have talented players and you have to have good situations, which include good coaching. And if you don't have both, nobody's going to reach their heights. The coaches, the players, the team in general. You need both. It's not one or the other. Who does more? Who does it best? You have to have good coaching and good players and you have to have that link and if you don't you're gonna see players who are good um look at zay jones like zay jones's situation when he got in the league he bombed out 
Like I mm-hmm. had to take the L. I was like, okay, whatever's not working. He had some stuff going on in his personal life. Like he he was not playing up to his potential, and maybe they didn't understand how to use him, or maybe it was just on his end. Impossible to tell. Goes to a different situation, starts to show some life. Hey, this is the guy I saw in college. He's got a lot of skills. Goes to Jacksonville, lands in this good situation now this year with Peterson and Lawrence, and comes away with 10 catches yesterday and looks, I don't want to say dominant, but like as Pretty an good. Inter- integral part of that offense. He was really driving a lot of their success on the receiving end. It, it matters. Situation matters more. We always say, well, it matters a little. No, it matters the most. Today's episode is brought to you by Trade Coffee, and as crazy as this sounds, I drink about eight cups of coffee every day because between running multiple YouTube channels and a podcast, my work days are obnoxiously long, and because I go through so much coffee, I tend to get bored with my normal store-bought coffee pretty quickly. In comes Trade, obviously, which is a coffee subscription service that sends both me and EJ freshly roasted coffee from small independent roasters all over the country, and they send it to us on our schedule so that we never run out. There are hundreds upon hundreds of coffees to choose from on Trade, and we actually worked with Trade to create a whole bootleg collection of coffees with about 50 different options in there, and again, they're all from independent roasters across the U.S., Keep in mind that my tastes are probably very different than most of you because I'm a fiend and I love smoky scotches, so my taste buds are basically destroyed at this point. But if you don't see what you're looking for within our collection because of that, there's still another 400 options on the site for you to browse through so that you can find what you're looking for. And even if you don't love your first bag, they'll work with you to replace it all for free so that you can find something that you do love. So if you want to support small businesses and brew the best cup of coffee you've ever made at home, right now Trade Coffee is offering our listeners a total of $30 off your first order, plus free shipping at drinktrade.com bootleg. Again, that is drinktrade.com bootleg for $30 off your subscription to the best coffees in the country. Thank you again to Trade, and with that, let's get back to the show. So with that being said, unfortunately, we're going to have to continue this discussion in our next segment, which is three down. Okay, EJ, three down number one. We're going to rip this bandaid off. Uh, The Bears are bad. The Texans are also bad. And anybody who watched that game, my sincerest apologies. Uh, That was one of the most atrocious things I think in the history of television in this country. I I watched the condensed version because I was at the Miami game and even that felt too long. This is my, my alarm bells are ringing when it comes to the Chicago bears. And you put a wonderful stat out there from, uh, uh, is it rich Rybar? Uh, rebar Lord rebar. Reeves. Yep. Uh, so the bears who are two and one, by the way, have only completed 23 passes through three games. The last time a team had fewer completions after three games was in 1982. And quite frankly, the fact that they completed 23, I had to double-check that myself because I thought that seemed high. This passing game is woefully undergunned for the modern NFL. The fact that they beat the Texans, I consider that to be a freaking miracle. Uh, and I think that's an indictment on the Texans in their own right, who also have a long way to go talent-wise. There's a lot of things to like about that team, especially on the defensive side. We love their entire defensive rookie class. Um, we like some of their pieces on offense. But that team, I think this this game really 
really let you know that the Texans are still two years away and the Bears might be two years away as well, and that's being generous. Not surprisingly to anybody, I'm going to focus on the Bears side of this. Texans uh, have their issues. They have their talent. They, you know, also have a new coaching staff. Uh, The Bears on this Sunday in 2022 had 29 first half passing yards. Two nine. God. 29. Uh, Justin Fields is broken right now as a passer he is still leading this team i don't think they've lost faith in that he is a threat to run and did so i think wisely yesterday in good situations you and i talked about quarterback runs where quarterbacks run in space i'm all about that he ran several times in space got down wisely that is an element of his game he needs to continue to use the rushing game they put up the most rushing yards they've put up since 1984 in a game. <laughs> and the rushing lot. game looked amazing, right? Before yeah. David Montgomery went down, he had several good runs. Unfortunately, he went down with an injury, which we're not happy about. But that meant Khalil Herbert time. And you and I both have full faith in Khalil Herbert. And he went off. He had a day. He looked amazing like we know he can. That's all great. That means the line's run blocking, Khalil Herbert's hitting the holes, like everything's working on the run game. That's amazing. Passing wins in the modern NFL. Everybody was hoping that Luke Getze's import from Green Bay to Chicago to get to work with a talent we're really excited about in Justin Fields, who I still have faith in because I've seen how he can play. We just talked about situation being a positive. When he was in a good situation at Ohio State, He was excellent as a passer. I thought he was a rival for the first overall draft pick with Trevor. Watching him yesterday, you wouldn't know that. You would say, this guy's not even in that guy's league. Like, he can't even hold his jock. That's ridiculous. He is completely, Fields, is completely broken as a passer right now. When he drops back, he looks lost. There is no going through progressions. I'm doing one thing or another. He's holding the ball too long. His offensive line, mostly the right tackle spot, is not holding up that end of the bargain. And even when they do, he just kind of looks like he doesn't know what to do. He's thinking a lot right now. That happens in offenses. But when you set alarm bells, you're right. This Mm -hmm. is now to the point where the Bears need to be sitting down this morning, like Monday morning, like Eberflus and Getze and Fields have to be in a room right now going okay we thought this was gonna work scratch that this is totally not working we're gonna go back to square square one we've obviously done something to overload you i'm not even sure people say what's wrong at this point you can't tell it's not one thing it's not that he doesn't have protection all the time because even when he does he's holding the ball too long he's not picking up his targets fast enough He is occasionally delivering a good ball, but I do mean occasionally 29 passing yards and a half is never going to win you anything. They need to go back to the bricks. they got to strip this thing down to the studs right now because if they don't, this is going to go off the rails. And, like, that could spell the end of Justin Fields in Chicago, and I know that sounds reactionary. Justin is a better talent than that right now. It's just like all the Bills fans, right? You got to say what happened on the field. What's happening on the field with the Chicago passing game right now is 
atrocious, abysmal, unacceptable, like whatever adjective you want to throw at it. It's not workable in the modern NFL, and they're not going anywhere. They're not even going to steal any games. They stole one yesterday. It was the defense. The defense saves the Bears. Stop me if you've heard this one before. Right? Roquan comes through with a pick at the end of the game, and they end up kicking a field goal. Like, defensive special team saves the Bears. You've heard this, right? Yeah, right. The passing game needs to get, like, built brick by brick from the ground up. And if they don't, they're not doing anything for the rest of the year. You're not going to know anything about Justin's development if they don't change course. And I mean yesterday. And I want to talk about that Roquan pick, by the way, because looking at the quarterback on the other side, another second-year quarterback who we liked a lot last year, Davis Mills, um, you know, you know, even this year has shown flashes of being a good starting quarterback. But he had that signature Davis Mills pick <laughs> uh, to Roquan late in that game that set up the Bears' victory that flashed me once again back to his Stanford days where I'm like, Davis, what the hell are you doing? And just to kind of break down how that pick happened, if I recall correctly, uh, they were in quarter-quarter half defense, uh, the Bears were. Um, they were playing quarters to the field on the, the three-receiver side, and then they were playing cover two to the boundary uh, on the other side where Roquan was. And we've talked about this route concept before, the hammer pivot, where you got the pivot route that holds the underneath zone defender, which was Roquan, and then you got the hammer route behind it, which is like a speed dig over the middle. And Davis was reading the quarter side first and then came back late to the hammer pivot, which to be perfectly honest if you're going to read that route your eyes need to go there first because you need to read exactly where that linebacker is and you can kind of hold that linebacker which is Roquan on the pivot route and get him to jump it early to open up the hammer behind it or you stare down the hammer get him to drift towards the middle and then you can hit the pivot for whatever you want he came back late looked at Roquan, then looked at the pivot and threw it without trying to look off Roquan, who was kind of midpointing between those two routes. And then Roquan just drove on it and picked it off, and they were in Texans territory and won the game. That was old Davis Mills at Stanford that I don't want to see. And so both of these young quarterbacks are struggling for different reasons right now. Obviously, Fields looks even worse, but Mills seriously needs to get with Pep Hamilton and they need to reinforce, like, hey, if you got a cover two side and a quarter side, read one of them. <laughs> like, you can't go here and then back here for a concept that you need to be hitting, you know, immediately in rhythm. Like, you, you cannot throw that late. And he threw that late and cost his team the win. So, uh, rough game all around for both Texans fans and Bears fans. Double rough for me because I'm both. Um, and I, uh, boy, I can't wait for four years from now. Because God willing, that's going to be a better matchup than it was today. It was a rough game. The Bears' pass rush was non-existent, which put a lot of pressure on their secondary. Again, we've talked about injuries all day. Jalen Johnson ruled out before the game, the top corner. I have to back up and give some props to Kendall Vilder, guy I got on real hard last year because he deserved it. The Bears played him at outside corner yesterday with Jalen Johnson out, and he was fired up, and he made a bunch of plays. Good physical anticipatory plays, PBUs. He played his ass off yesterday, and he he deserves praise for how well he played. He was a difference maker on defense for them. 
Um, we got to see Nicholas Morrow's safety uh, roots. He, he had some deep coverages, again, falling back in the sort of cover two side, you know, going back to his safety roots with some deep coverage that looked pretty good. Um, Roquan played better. Roquan has not played well for the first two games of the year, and he played really well yesterday after almost being a scratch with a hip injury. So I don't know whether the injection really worked or he was just fired up. He looked like old Roquan. He had good hits. He had the interception. He had some good coverage. He, he looked like a different player as well. So, you know, it was one of those things where the team can't play complimentary football because pass rush had nothing all day after talking about Dominique Robinson early and then Travis Gibson last week. And, you know, Robert Quinn's still over there somewhere. Uh, (laughs) Is he? (laughs) After yesterday, you wouldn't know. uh, They gave Mills all the time in the world yesterday. And if you're doing that with a banged up secondary, again, you're sort of handing the bag to another broken unit and saying, whoops, here's here's what we can't get done. Try and make it happen with even less personnel. Um, Not great. Uh, and it was a really ugly game, certainly if you're a Chicago fan. If you're a Texas fan, you're really upset that the Bears played a really ugly game and still beat your team. So just kind of not a lot of goods to come out of this. If we're looking for shining moments, it's Khalil Herbert for the Bears. Uh, you know, Damian Pierce played a, played a pretty good game, scored. That's nice. That's all I got. Oh, Jalen <laughs> Petrie. Jalen Petrie played really well. Yeah, he well looks for the great, Texas. but we thought he, he was going to look great, so that's not even news. Right, but, he's, but he's holding that up, you know. So we had some good safety play between Petrie and Brisker. There, there were nuggets, but boy, did you have to dig. This was a dump fest of a game, and and not super fun. Number two in uh, in, in three down here, we have the AFC West stumbling a lot more than we expected early on in the season. Uh, the Chiefs, as we mentioned, lost to the Colts in. I don't want to say embarrassing faction, but definitely uncharacteristic fashion. Special teams errors all over the place in a special teams unit that has historically been extremely well coached. You could say that at minimum cost them seven points and at maximum, depending on how you define you know turnovers and easy field position, uh, was a 14-point swing. And I know that we could say that if they had their starting kicker, Harrison Bucker, you know, if his ankle wasn't the size of a watermelon and they didn't have to go to the backup, they'd probably win that game. And you would be correct, but they didn't win. And that's the important part is they they lost to a Colts team that, truth be told, didn't look like a winning team themselves, you know, and I, I think that they were uh, they were very lucky to pull that one out in a lot of different ways. Now, they did, and credit to them, but they were very lucky to pull that one out. Uh, You have the Broncos, who we watched last night, put up 11 points in a disaster of a primetime game. And again, I know they won, but boy, it didn't feel like a win. And were it not for Jimmy Garoppolo stepping out of the end zone and throwing a pick six on the same play and somehow getting lucky that he gave himself a safety to avoid the pick six, that was the you know, the difference in the game, those points were the difference in the game. So it was, it was horrible. And the Broncos offense has been terrible and way underperforming relative to what we thought coming into this year. And I don't know if there's any end of that in sight. Uh, It's just been bad. And then the chargers in unfortunately classic chargers fashion are banged up beyond belief. Their quarterback is hurt. Bosa's injured. Slater's injured. Keenan's dealing with soft tissue injuries. Like, half their star players are hurt right now. So, as far as I'm concerned, you know, put Khalil Mack and Derwin in bubble wrap and see if we can survive to week four. So, they just got trounced by the Jaguars because they are 
massively undergunned, and the Jaguars themselves are a good team. I want to give them their credit, too, but the Chargers are hurt again. And then you got the Raiders, who, if I recall correctly, are the last remaining winless team in the entire league, and they're heading into the part of their schedule where they have a lot of division games, which we know how the AFC West goes. You're not going to win all your division games, and they kind of need to go you know, 5-1 and one in their division to catch back up. So it's, it's going to be rough for them. Now, is it impossible for them to get back into this thing? No, but their only way, in my opinion, to keep pace with the Chiefs over the back half of the season is for them to just completely annihilate you know, Broncos, Broncos Chargers and that first Chiefs game uh, in their division matchups, which I just I don't know if they can do that. So it's been a very rough start for the Raiders. Raiders fans are already calling for Josh McDaniels' jobs, and, and we're less than a month into the season. AFC West as a whole, got to be the most disappointing division in the league, and I don't think it's particularly close. We talked about this being the giant robot division. We talked it's about being the kaiju division. We talked about these being just absolute giant slayers, right? This was this division was loaded up with talent, is loaded up with talent, and we predicted great things all through the summer. Wah, wah, wah. Pretty much not. <laughs> the Chiefs are still the class of the division, which is not a surprise, but they did play a bad game. Not going to throw them under the bus, but they played a bad game against the Colts. Make no mistake about that. The Broncos, I think, are easily the most what-the-fuck team in this division. Like we said, offensive head coach, an import of a future Hall of Fame quarterback, all these weapons, a great defense, which has held to be true. Broncos have only allowed 36 points, which is ridiculous. Super-duper-duper low. You would say that a team that through three games has allowed 36 points would probably have a pretty good shot at being 3-0. They are 2-1, but their offense, 43 points in three games. Yeah. Not great, and has looked horrendous, let's be honest. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett's already had a coach hired to help him. We're three games in. The Chargers can't stop anybody, which is, we need to talk about this. Brandon Staley is a defensive coach. They've allowed 84 points, and that's been with a largely healthy defense. Bosa got banged up in the middle of this game yesterday. Like, they have talent at every level of the defense. They allowed 84 points. You're not going to win a lot of games when you allow 84 in three games. That's, I mean, that's just asking Justin Herbert to go full throttle all the time and hit everything just to keep up. He's not going to do that. And the Raiders, oof, the Raiders we need to talk about. They're 0-3, so you said they might get back in it. Statistically, they ain't going to. Teams that go 0-3 over the last 20 years, I think one of them has made the playoffs. If you go 0-3, it's pretty much a death knell to your playoff aspirations for the year they've allowed 77 points but literally their head coach and owner had a post-game meeting before the press conference yesterday it's game three that's bad this is the one that kills me the chargers the cardinals and the titans are all one and two Mm -hmm. and their lone wins came against the raiders oof and we all have deep questions about all three of those teams. 
That's right. So Chargers, Cardinals, and Titans could only manage one win each to keep out of the 0-3 category, which is, as we just said, a big dark cloud like the ones behind you uh, (laughs) coming for your playoff chances. And they all escaped that fate only because they played the Raiders. The the Raiders are secret terabad right now. They are not anybody's like they weren't particularly close in their games they have looked um out of sorts out of sync and the other thing is this is the anti-raiders the the raiders are the team that has started really really hot for the past two years they've had super strong starts and then faded down the stretch they're gonna have to flip the script a lot of people are saying they never should have let risposaccia go who's now the special teams coordinator in Green Bay. Like, There's just all kinds of questions, and losing will cause those kinds of questions. But losing this way when you had such high hopes, when you spent so much money on improving your defense, on importing Devontae Adams, all these things, and you go 0-3, it's not a great start. And overall, the look for the division is kind of hide your eyes. We said this was going to be the power division in the entire league the preeminent division and the Chiefs still look pretty good the Broncos are miraculously two and one the Chargers one and two and starting to charger with injuries which is not great and the Raiders are just they have a lot of problems like a combination of problems that aren't going to clean up super easily so you look at overall the AFC West and you go "Ooh, this is not what we thought it was going to be quite frankly I don't think there is a power division in the NFL right now. Like, I, I really don't, which is, again, vastly different than what we expected. But I, I don't see one division out there with three great teams in it, at least as of right now. That can obviously change. It's a long season. Um, but it's – the NFL is the world's best reality television for a reason because we can sit here and bloviate and go over every single roster in the entire league for all summer and we could you know speculate about everything that's going to happen and then you know middle of september we're like well all that was wrong (laughs) fresh sheet of paper let's go uh which makes it fascinating because if they all the games played out chalk uh it would be boring quite frankly And that is why the NFL is so fascinating. Teams that you think are locks to be juggernauts or to improve or to fall off do and don't at random intervals. And it makes for fascinating, fascinating viewing. Uh, All right. Final three down here. And this one is, is the most depressing out of all the unbelievable amount of injuries that, that were sustained both this weekend and, and honestly the entire year so far. Every single team is banked up. Every single one. And I will read off these as quickly as I can because there's so many of them. And I don't want to get too bogged down in this segment, but I want to illustrate just how many teams are impacted by injuries, and these aren't even all of them. So we got the Cardinals, Justin Pugh, elbow, Zayvon Collins, shoulder, left the game, didn't return. A.J. Green suffered a knee injury and was r- ruled out in the third quarter. Moving to the Ravens, Patrick McCarry, ankle, Justin Houston, groin, and Michael Pierce, arm injury, all ruled out against New England. Uh, New England themselves, obviously, Mac Jones uh, had that really bad ankle injury that we thought could have been even worse, but it turns out it's just, quote-unquote, just a high ankle sprain that still I would be kind of surprised if he plays on that unless they shoot him up with the good stuff. 
uh, or really the bad stuff, theoretically speaking, uh, before next game because that he was screaming in pain. That was a bad injury. Uh, Lawrence Guy also ruled out that one for the Patriots. Jalen Mills also left the game with a hammy and didn't return. Uh, Bills, Josh Allen went to the x-ray room following the game Miami but said he was quote-unquote fine. Again, he dropped back 70 times and got the absolute hell beat out of him because he was also the leading rusher, so fine is relative. Uh, Christian Benford left the game with a hand injury and didn't return. Spencer Brown, uh, they said heat illness, which really was basically like heat exhaustion. Uh, That was a very rough one for Spencer Brown. Panthers, Dante Jackson, neck, left the game, didn't return. Bears, Montgomery, knee and ankle and didn't return. Byron Pringle, calf, left and didn't return. For the Bengals, DJ Reader suffered a left knee injury and was ruled out. Broncos, Baron Browning and DJ Jones left and didn't return. Tracy Walker, unfortunately, was announced today. He tore his Achilles. He's out for the rest of the year for the Lions. He's a great safety for the Lions. Packers, Jair Alexander suffered a groin injury. He's getting tests. Uh, He was ruled out for the rest of the game. He's getting tests today to determine severity, but again, that's rough for them. Um, Las Vegas Raiders, Nate Hobbs got a concussion and Rocky Sin left the game with a knee injury and didn't return. Chargers, as we mentioned, Joey Bosa was ruled out and Rashawn Slater, uh, had a bicep injury and also did not return. We'll get in updates on those hopefully this week. Um, Dolphins, we went over the two, uh, concussion slash back, whatever the hell that was. He came back, but uh, that story is not over, obviously. <sighs> Halfway there, EJ. Vikings, Dalvin Cook. Big breath. (laughs) Dalvin Cook for the uh, Vikings. Shoulder injury again was ruled out in the fourth quarter. He has a uh, chronic uh, shoulder problem. I guess we can call it chronic, where he dislocated it once way back in the day. And once he dislocated it once, it becomes more easy to dislocate in the future. And he's kind of done that every single year now uh, for the last few years is, is dislocating his shoulder. Uh, Cook has an unrepaired labral tear, according to Tom Pelissero, and was not wearing a harness. And so if you tore your labrum and you have a history of shoulder dislocation and you're not wearing a harness and you get popped at just the right angle, that shoulder's coming out. Like, that, that just is what it is at this point. He just has to live with it, and he's playing through it every single year. Uh, Saints, Andrews Pete had a concussion, was ruled out. Jarvis Landry, ankle, and Michael Thomas foot also left the game and did not return. We'll learn more about them, ideally either today or tomorrow. Almost there. Jets, uh, Garrett Wilson exited the game with a rib injury, but did return. Uh, George Fant suffered a knee injury and did not return, so that's like their third tackle that's gotten hurt so far this year, and we're in week three. Quincy Williams was carted off with an ankle injury and also did not return, which is rough for them. He's a good player for them. Uh, and then 49ers, this is a biggie. Trent Williams ankle in the middle of that game last night and did not return. And boy, you felt it in the fourth quarter. Jimmy was running for his life without Trent Williams there. And then last, but certainly not least, Travis, uh, Travis Homer for the Seahawks had a rib injury and was ruled out against Atlanta. That is an incredible, and I mean that in a negative way, an incredible amount of destruction across the NFL in a single Sunday. It was brutal out there. And we are less than a month into the season, and every single team is already dealing with major injuries. And I mean multiple major injuries. It's not great. And to reinforce, that list does not include folks that were ruled out pregame, like Jalen Johnson Mm -hmm. was not on the Bears list, who I mentioned earlier. And there were a lot of those, like many of those. 
and it does not include some players that have a little bit less impact on their teams than some of the players we mentioned. Again, if we had put all those in there, we would have had a 25-minute segment of reading off every injury from the NFL. We're three weeks in. It's a 17-week season. There is a lot of attrition already. There's a lot of you know high-profile players on that list. Uh, Rayshon Slater might not return. It's been speculated. Again, we'll know more later in the week. That would be a huge blow for the Chargers, who we mentioned are already struggling. Um, some of the play, like, we didn't put T. Higgins on here. T. Higgins oh, got knocked out of the fuck. game. Uh oh. What'd you find out? It just came out like right now. Rashawn Slater, torn biceps tendon, expected to miss the rest of the year. Yeah, that was speculated because he left with his arm in a sling uh, and wasn't moving it. Uh, yeah. So. This is the reality of the NFL, and again, we didn't put everybody in here. We didn't put people like T. Higgins, who did leave the game yesterday but did return. Um, you know, I know we did that with Wilson, but, the, like, this is this is the worst part of covering this game. Like, the human toll, the human cost in physical injury is no fun. It has a significant impact. We let off the the whole show talking about the significance of the bills injuries heading into we didn't put all the bills folks that were ruled out micah hyde and poyer and everybody else like there's even more than this and this sounds like way too much um it's something we have to talk about it's not something we like talking about obviously it is significant in terms of who wins and loses these games but i want everybody to remember as a person that has spent a lot of time injured in my life Every one of these guys is a person, and it is hard to come back from small injuries, from big ones. It is a lonely process. It is difficult. It is painful. Like, we go, oh, come on, come back and play. Like, that's what we say as fans. Need to remember that all these guys, first thing I always say, wish them a speedy and, you know, speedy and complete recovery is the, is the best wish I can give them. But in the meantime, they are going to go through it all of them and their teams are as well it's a tough part to talk about but it has felt and i don't have any stats to back this up more prominent earlier in the season than it has in years past like we have more big injuries more quickly this year it feels like than we have in years past again i can't back that up in a statistical sense but boy the injury listings and their impact on the season and, of course, on all these players individually has felt like an avalanche, and we're not even a month in. Yeah, it's just devastating. And, I mean, Chargers fans in particular, like, when when are we actually going to get a nope. fully operational Chargers team? Like, this was the year. This was the year. Those fans are saying the same thing. I it, it's funny. I I called up my aunt who lives in Buffalo because we were talking about um, the possibility of showing up there in in October. And honest to God, this is the most Buffalo thing ever. The first five minutes of the conversation were not about. Oh, I'm so glad you're coming. This, this is my godmother. This is someone that's known me since I was an infant. Right. First five minutes of conversation were spent on Bill's injuries. <laughs> And I was the one that let her know that Hyde was out for the year, and she was devastated. Like, here's her 
nephew calling to say, hey, I'm coming to see you all the way across the country, which she was genuinely thrilled about. But we had to get the fact that Micah is her favorite player and such a good guy and always goes through interviews the right way. And it's just has been so solid on the field. And I'm just so devastated that he's not going to be there. That was the first five minutes of the conversation. So when I say football fandom in Buffalo is different, literally that's what we had to get out of the way to get to hey i'm coming to see you and can i stay at your house um so Mm -hmm. it's this has impact in communities all over the country and it's it is rugged but she said this was supposed to be our year if we stayed healthy which is kind of every well not every nfl fan base every successful nfl fan base ever hey we've got the horses this year if we can if we can keep them all in the race we're we're gonna go far and it has a major impact on the standings every year. Just brutal, absolutely. Especially brutal. for the Chargers. That's the thing is like this hap- The Bills have been mostly healthy for the last three years. They have a great sports yep. medicine program. The Chargers are always, always hurt, and I, I mean sometimes even at the hands of their own doctors. Always yeah. hurt. We have a verb, chargering. And the Chargers are unfortunately starting to Charger, and it's not cool because this is a wildly talented team, but at some point you do have to wonder, like, is it ever, you know, we in years past we said, when is it going to stop? And Chargers fans are looking at us right now going, don't you know it never stops? <laughs> uh, but Come take we've a been seat like, on the Come couch, on. EJ. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, join us. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like it's happening again this year early on. And it, it, as an NFL football fan, it's a bummer. Like, just that, not necessarily as a Chargers fan. Like, I want to see all those players at full strength tearing apart the AFC West. It'd be really cool. Doesn't look like we're going to get that this year. It is finally officially fall, which means you're probably busy as hell right now, just like we are, because for whatever reason, everything always happens in the fall. But just because you're busy doesn't mean that you don't still want to cook good food at home with fresh farm-to-table ingredients delivered right to your door, which is where HelloFresh comes in. All of the produce from HelloFresh that you will cook with was picked less than a week ago from when it enters your kitchen, so it's as fresh as it can possibly get. Plus, getting your ingredients for meals from HelloFresh is on average 25% cheaper than takeout and also way cheaper than if you got the same ingredients at a grocery store too. So it's more affordable as well if you're on a budget. They also offer veggie recipes, pescatarian options, and 20-minute meal options for those of you that really have very little time on your hands, plus over 30 other different recipe options for you to choose from every single week. So if you want to try HelloFresh for yourself, you can go to HelloFresh.com and use promo code BOOTLEG65 for 65% off your order, plus free shipping. Again, that is HelloFresh.com, promo code BOOTLEG65 for a 65% discount and free shipping on the order. Thank you again to HelloFresh for sponsoring today's show. And with that, let's get back to it. All right, let's get to something slightly more fun, which is (laughs) three fun. All right, EJ, three fun, number one. These are three players that went off Sunday. And two of these three are guys that don't get a lot of credit that often. One of them definitely gets a lot of credit on this show, but nationally speaking, doesn't get talked to, talked about a whole lot. And one of them barely gets talked about ever. And so these are kind of like the three. If you have these guys in fantasy, you probably only needed just them, and you probably won this week. But they had monster performances, all of them. 
Obviously, Lamar is the headliner. He does get talked about a lot, but still doesn't get enough credit, in my opinion. Uh, he had four touchdowns uh, through the air, 200 passing, but another 100 rushing and another touchdown. So he had five touchdowns on the day. He is leading the NFL in touchdowns. He is like fourth in rushing. He's one of the most productive passers in the league as well. I think he's top three in passing yards, if I recall correctly. Uh, I'll, I'll look that up as we talk about this. But he has been hyper productive, even by his own standards. And keep in mind, this is a previous unanimous MVP that has been hyper productive in the past. But even by Lamar's lofty expectations, he is just tearing the NFL limb from limb so far. Uh, number two, in terms of players that went off, you have Cordero Patterson, apparently the ageless Cordero Patterson, future Hall of Famer Cordero Patterson, and that's how he will be addressed on this show. Thank you very much. He had 17 carries for a buck 41, 8.3 uh, per touch, and a touchdown, also threw in another reception for 12 yards on top of that. He is number two in the NFL in rushing as of the time of recording this. He'll probably slip down to number three if Saquon has himself a day, but this is a... This is a primary return man of the past, started his career as a receiver, uh, you know, started getting converted to running back when he was with New England, you know, a few years back. Uh, and then they brought him in to be a bell cow when they took a whole bunch of injuries and helped carry them literally to a Super Bowl. But I think he's one of the best special teams players in the history of the sport did a position switch in the middle of his career and all of a sudden is one of the most productive running backs in the entire NFL on the wrong side of 30, mind you. He is one of the most unique players ever in the NFL. One of my favorite players ever in the NFL. And uh, I love seeing him be successful. And then the third player that went off, we have the EJ Snyder special, Mac Hollins, his boy, Eight catches for a buck 58 and a touchdown, long of 60. The Raiders may be winless, and they may have lost this game, but Mac Hollins had himself a day, so EJ's happy. Yeah, we'll we'll start in reverse order, because I've been a Mac Hollins stand since I was watching UNC tape, scouting Trubisky and uh, Bug Howard and the two running backs that got that entire offense got drafted or ended up in the NFL, I should say. Mac Collins was a guy I loved for special teams and wasn't predicting this kind of success for him on offense coming out of that UNC team, but he made those catches. He made those big catches down the sideline. He made, you know, deep third down catches in the end zone. It wasn't a lot. His production wasn't off the charts. It was good, but it wasn't anything in college that really sort of raised your eyebrows, but it was when he made them and how he made them. And then the fact that he was playing special teams like a demon on that college team. He's a leader for them on special teams. When he came into the NFL, that's generally how fourth, fifth, or sixth wide receivers are going to make their living in the NFL. And I thought, well, this is a perfect overlay. He's going to come in. He's got a ton of special teams snaps for experience, and he can work his way into a limited receiver role. That's what I thought was great. And that would have been a very successful career for Matt Collins, let's be clear. Over the past few years, you've started to see the receiving ability. He has continued to better himself. Saw it last year. I actually banged the table for Chicago to sign him in free agency as a sort of cast-off, low-budget you know, free agency signing. It was pretty clear the Bears weren't going to spend money on wide receiver. I was like, go get Matt Collins. Well, ends up signing with the Raiders. And 
ding, 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 goes off yesterday for almost 160 yards, about 20 catches per or 20 yards per catch and a TD. Every time he looked up the TV, Mac Collins was catching something. That's fantastic. Cordero, super familiar with him as a bear. Uh, not super familiar with this much success running the ball. He had some of that. You really started to see it his last year in Chicago that he started to act like a running back, not just an athlete who was getting handed the ball, not just a guy that was running jet sweeps. You started to see him set up some running back moves, and that's terrifying because I've seen him in person, and he is massive. He is a big, big dude, fully like 6'4", 220-plus, sometimes 230 in his career he is a huge human being that's really fast and when he starts acting like a running back that's a terrifying ideal arthur smith and atlanta have taken him to a completely another level as a rusher and it's super fun to see lamar we're going to be lamar stands as long as lamar plays i'm just super happy that he basically said so you don't want to pay me cool <laughs> bet <laughs> Right. Lamar Jackson said bet at the beginning of the season. He said bet on himself. And he's showing everybody in sort of incontrovertible ways. Yep. This is why you're going to pay me maximum bag. Like you're going to have to. And he's going to deserve it six ways from Sunday or twice on Sunday or whatever you want to say. He is blowing the doors off, being hyper productive. I am. I just want him to stay healthy and keep producing like this because it's super fun to see as an NFL fan. And Baltimore's either going to have to shell out like historic mega cash to keep him, which they would do if they're smart because the, all they need to do is look around at other teams in the quarterback wastelands and see what that's like. So take the one you've got. And if they don't, if they let him out on the open market, he's going to sign a historic contract. And he should. So yeah, all three look at what's guys. happening at Pittsburgh. Decide if you want to be Pittsburgh or and worse then pay accordingly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, honestly, look at San Francisco, right? San Francisco gambled on Trey Lance. It didn't work out or hasn't worked out for the first couple of years. Not anybody's fault necessarily, but it hasn't. Jimmy comes in. Look, they scored 10 points in the game where he, you know, had all the first team reps all week. He threw the same bad pick at the end of the game that he's thrown many times is there any you know doubt right now why they were gambling on trey lance it's because jimmy's gonna throw up a couple of those you know every year then you look at lamar jackson and go these two things are not the same right you have a transcendent talent at the quarterback position pay the man and if they yeah. don't want to look you and I love Eric DaCosta. They draft very well. They may again get lucky and draft themselves another quarterback, and that may be the way they choose to build their franchise. If they swing and miss, they're going to get roasted, and rightfully so. Yeah, actually, San Francisco is probably a better example than Pittsburgh because at least Pittsburgh still has a little bit of hope in the form of Kenny Pickett. Uh, you know, if Kenny Pickett comes in and, and ends up being, you know, a good quarterback, then, then they're straight. But San Francisco... <sighs> God. It is what it is. It's a known known at this point. I, I don't know. I don't know how you wake up as a Niners fan today and feel confident about your team at all. I don't know. Like I, I get it. They've done Super Bowl runs with Jimmy, but the fact that they've done Super Bowl runs with Jimmy and people see how that ends, like how do you have faith in this season? After seeing this multiple times and knowing knowing what the end of that road looks like twice in three years, I don't know. It's tough. Uh, all right, three fun, number two. Uh, 
big boys in pass defense. This is always fun. We, we, we love seeing, you know, defensive linemen, anything, anything over 275 pounds getting involved in the pass game, not as a pass rusher, but in pass coverage. We had three amazing examples this week. Number one, Derek Brown getting a diving interception off a tipped ball, you know, kind of Superman leaping back and one arming it out there. Uh, just an incredibly athletic play for anybody, let alone a defensive tackle to do. Uh, Trayvon Walker, one of the freaks among all freaks, you know, dropping back in pass coverage, matching number two up the seam, and then breaking down and getting a PBU on it, uh, which we saw him do at Georgia. Like, that's not a new thing for Trayvon Walker to do, but seeing it in college versus seeing it in the pros and knowing that. Like you, you have a suspicion that it's going to translate, but then seeing it translate and going like, "Oh no, he's he's an amazing athlete at this level too." Uh, it's just it's exciting because they drop him in coverage every single week, and it keeps working, and they keep you know they let him rush one on one every single week, and that's working too. And so now we're getting to the point where every offense that goes against the Jags knows that he can beat pretty much everybody in pass protection one on one, or if they want to bring pressure away from him and drop him, he's not somebody you can pick on as a quick outlet either in pass coverage. So you can kind of go forwards or backwards with him, and it's almost impossible to plan for because you know he's really good at both. Uh, and maybe the best out of all of them, Vita Vea in the low red zone. And Tampa will do this from time to time, um, is they'll, they'll drop eight in coverage, and they'll have the eighth be Vita Vea because, again, he's a nose and you're probably not going to get a whole lot of pass rush out of him anyway because he's going to be doubled. So in their mind, they're thinking, okay, what's more valuable? Having him take up the center or the guard anyway or drop him as a low uh, hole zone defender in the low red zone so that the linebackers can completely sell out and overplay everything outside because they know that they got Vita inside ready to absolutely knock the piss out of anybody that comes inside. And so it lets the linebackers, again, oversell it. And then if you get a running back like what happened here, cut back inside if it's like uh, an angle route or option or anything like that, it's a lot harder for them to actually score on that. And so it's almost like creating a bracket out of thin air, but with a nose tackle as the bracket defender underneath. And Vita just came over and just smacked the running back underneath, forced the fumble at the goal line. Uh, just hilarious play all things considered, but also a smart call defensively because that's the best way that you can use him in that situation is allow the linebackers to play fast, use him as a low-hole zone defender because he's athletic enough to do it, and uh, it's, it's pretty tough to throw on that. By the red zone, there's a compression of space. Everything happens faster, and you just you see offenses stall out. There's nobody that takes up more space than Vita Vea, and <laughs> not just because he's a huge dude, but also because he can move. He's incredibly athletic, and he was a stone wall on this one. Uh, folks said the other defender forced the fumble, and I was like, really? Did, did he? <laughs> sure looked like Vita had a lot to say about that. So that one was super fun. The Trayvon Walker PBU is cool because it's at depth. We've seen him sort of hang again in the very similar role to Vita Vea and that sort of low hole zone defender in the middle, we saw it in college at Florida and just dive and, and knock a ball down in pass coverage. We saw that a couple of weeks ago in the NFL. This is literally, like you said, out on the seam at a like 12, 12 yard depth, 15 yard Ish. depth. Yeah, and he there. comes forward 
and knocks the ball away, that's not a play you expect from a player of his size. And it gives that duality not just to him, but they drafted another guy that we talked about this week in Devin Lloyd that's a ridiculously good pass rusher as a middle linebacker, as a guy that literally just lines up as an edge, his skills to beat tackles were better than some of the edge rushers in this draft. So now you've got two guys that you can push forward or put backward, and they both have sort of freaky skill sets in the areas they're quote-unquote not supposed to. That's challenging for offenses coming in. It gets to more of that positionless defense, and anybody can rush, and anybody can drop in the low zone and be just as effective. That's, That's a scary thought. And the Derek Brown INT, I, this is why I hate the term skill position players. And we need to like run a contest this year to come up with another name for folks that regularly touch the ball players because <laughs> everybody on an offensive field or everybody on a football field is a skill position player, offensive line, defensive line. And watching a guy that's fully like 350 pounds and Derek Brown dive backwards one-handed and pick a ball off in space you can't not call that a skilled play so it's really fun when you get to see players you don't expect making great plays in pass coverage uh we had three of them this week and pulled them up they're all they're all great they're all fun um definitely belongs in three fun one of my favorite segments of the week uh last three fun here there's a lot of different elements of the Vikings-Lions game that I could have chosen. Uh, there was some wacky stadium hijinks that caused the kickers combined to go one for five because there's like these doors. I know it's an indoor stadium, <laughs> so, so it sounds weird. But there's these doors that they can open at U.S. Bank, which then allows the breeze in. Neither kicker could fucking adjust. Like they were pushing every single kick right because of these doors. It was hilarious. And like at, at one point, Greg Joseph and Cypher were just like, what do you want me to do? Like they, they could not adjust to it. And so that was fun uh, just from a, a comedy standpoint. But <laughs> I also love the fact that uh, the return of 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins happened. And we saw, you know, th- they were down f- by 14 early. Mm-hmm. And then eventually uh, late in the game, they were down by 10. And then you saw Kirk turn on the microwave. And he's hitting shots, and he's hitting shots. Like, they're bracketing Justin Jefferson. They say, okay, beat us with everybody else. And Kirk's like, bet, I'm going to do that. So he hits K.J. Osborne in a deep cross. And then um, Osborne was in the slot against Mike Hughes, sold a hard inside release. Hughes overplayed it. And I, I couldn't I couldn't tell if he was expecting a safety to be over the top or not. He kind of looked like he was, but also based on the co- – again, I haven't watched the L-22 of it yet. Based on the broadcast, it looked like the coverage, like I think Hughes was just supposed to carry Osborne up, and he just got beat so damn bad that he started looking around like he expected help. And it's like, I don't know, dude, I think he just got beat. But either way, Osborne roasted him on the release, caught the touchdown. Um, they were already in field goal position at that point because Kirk brought him back within three to tie it up, but they just outright scored. And then they got the interception on Goff when he tried to come back and, and do his hero thing. But uh, I thought it was fun that Kirk Cousins out of prime time in the fourth quarter. Now he can turn it on and now he can carry his team to a, to a win. Just can't do it in prime time, man. I don't get it. Yeah. When the lights aren't bright, you have to keep an eye on the Vikings game. I was watching this game this was if you remember from last week's podcast it was sort of our honorable mention on the watch list i was like this is going to be an under the radar game where the lions are coming up the vikings have played pretty well this is 
this could be a pretty even tilt. I was watching it on Sunday, and Lions go up by 14, and I was like, look at that. You know, wow, okay, that's Dan Campbell saying, nope, we're going to take this division. And I look up at halftime, and it all knotted up at 14. Huh, okay, I'll watch what happens in the second half. I look up, Lions are up by 10. Okay, they're doing it again. I look up, Vikings win the game. I'm like, wait a minute. This is Kirk in a nutshell, right? Playing up or down to the level of his competition. And again, when the lights aren't bright, he can just light it up. And that fourth quarter did what he needed to do. Like he was only 24 for 41 for the game. That If you look at that stat line, you're like... Okay, that's that's pretty marginal. Not not great. It's okay. It's passable. But when it counts, right? We talked about it in the Miami versus, you know, Buffalo game. It's when it counts. And when it counted, Kirk Cousins got hot, like he does sometimes, and he buried a very good team for a division win. We talk about that all the time as well as being a sort of two for one game. Like he <laughs> the Vikings could have very easily folded and lost this game. Cousins heated up at the end. Hit K.J. Osborne a couple times right in a row. Vikings come out with a win that they really, frankly, needed uh, to stay afloat as they keep going through division play and and play their way into contention, hopefully, for a playoff spot. Yeah, uh, this was, especially considering what we think Detroit is, which is a very capable football team, they for damn sure needed to win their homestand against Detroit because they're – Getting swept by Detroit because we think Detroit can obviously, you know, with their home field advantage, we think that they can, they can probably win that game at home. They needed to split this one one and one, especially when it comes to not just trying to make a push to win the North, but playoff seeding period. Because there's a legit shot that Detroit makes a run here and contends for the seventh seed. So they they need every little advantage and tiebreakers they can get to to try to keep pace and stay ahead of them. One thing really quick, today's episode is sponsored by Upside. For every purchase you make on gas, groceries, or even dining out, all of which are obviously incredibly expensive these days, Upside will help you earn cash back on those purchases. In particular, for me, if you've been following what we've been doing the last couple weeks, I've had a lot of rental cars because of all the games we've traveled to, or in some cases, rental U-Hauls because that was the only thing I could actually get to drive from Austin to Dallas. So the cash back on gas has been very, very valuable to me, as I'm sure it would be to a lot of you as well. On the app, all you have to do to claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside is check in at the business, pay as you normally do with your credit or debit card, and then you get cash back. So it's very easy to do. And if you want to try out Upside for yourself just to make your purchases hurt as little as possible, you can download the free Upside app and use promo code BLFB, and that will give you $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that is promo code BLFB for $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of at least 10 bucks thank you again to upside for sponsoring us and with that let's get back to it uh all right ej this is going to be a very interesting segment we're not used to doing it this way but it is time for the bootleg shot of the week and seeing as i am in a hotel in miami and could not acquire spirits of my own you have stepped up and volunteered to do both of our shots for me the things I will do for this podcast. I <laughs> I love you like a brother and will take this one for you. I also need to say, must have been a pretty extreme set of circumstances because I was with you in Dallas and we managed to acquire booze 
even though we had to, you know, withstand the the withering stare of the shop owner at 10.05 a.m., five minutes after he opened, as our depravity walked in and, and purchased alcohol first thing in the morning, because it was for a good reason. This is professional purposes, you understand. <laughs> Anyways, yes, I will be doing both shots. Um, this, this will be rugged. Uh, so we're going to do the Anchorman tribute this week. Scotch, scotch, scotchity, scotch. So oh, God, have... you're, you're doing double scotch? Yep. Oh, Double God, scotch, first thing in the morning. If we're going to go, we're going to go all the way. So I have Grangestone single malt over here and Glenn Levitt over here. Jesus Christ. Hey, okay. hey you know, if, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it. Um, so first of all, we need to tell all the five folks who won. To nobody's surprise, Derwin James, uh, given Travis Kelsey the old spine buster, down in the red zone uh, in the previous Thursday game won the vote almost overwhelmingly Isaiah Simmons in his game winning force fumble did put up a valiant fight but in the end I mean how could you not love that Derwood hit on Kelsey so uh, I'm going to uncork my shot which is this nice little glass of water and I'm going to let you do the heavy lifting AJ All right, cheers I'm gonna, to you Derwin cheers to you Derwin I'm going to do the heavy lifting throughout this week's bootleg shot of the week thing just so i make it through the rest of the podcast but feel free and lay out the rest of the nominees while i finish off derwin's shots for him so nominees uh also no surprise vita vea in lozo <laughs> like a champ just immediate yeah there there's still go. one to go one to 50, go we're 50 percent here uh vita vea in zone coverage in the low red zone uh smacking the running back i think on an option round if i recall correctly forcing the fumble huge play hilarious play uh but we love to see vita Bea anywhere on this show Jerry sneed option number two coming on a, a corner blitz off the edge and just smacking the hell out of matt ryan in the backfield again forcing a fumble uh it was on fourth down so regardless of, of who recovered it it was going to be a, a turnover anyway but uh, this is just... the this is the spider-man sack <laughs> Oh yeah, because it was it was like he just came in and went ah. It was like Brian Dawkins just <laughs> ah. <laughs> but I he didn't that. hit him in the head. He hit everywhere no. around the head. <laughs> it, it was a funny looking sack. That, that highest comedy value of the week goes to Lejarius Sneed. Uh, but it was a great play by him and Matt Ryan. Really never did see it coming. Uh, you got Keanu Neal. Uh, you know. It, Nice to see him still kind of kicking around. Sometimes he's a safety, sometimes he's a linebacker. Sometimes he uh, absolutely obliterates return men on special teams, which is what he did, unfortunately, to uh, Amari Rogers. Very reminiscent of that uh, Javon Holland hit we highlighted last season where, you know, you see the ball carry and he's got the ball and all of a sudden there's this missile flying in from off the screen to deliver judgment. Uh, hell of a hit from Keanu Neal. Loved every bit of it. Roquan, we mentioned, had a little bit of a, a throwback game for him. Looked like the old Roquan for once. About midway through the third quarter, came through, smacked Damian Pierce. Uh, I think it was on outside zone, if I recall correctly. And he just kind of knifed through the back of the line and backdoored it. Came in. Yeah, I see the little wins. I see you struggling with that one. <laughs> but you Smooth. made it. You made it. Okay. Hey, you're the one who chose scotch, not me. Now, I'll, when we're done with shots of the week, I'll tell you a smooth story. And then last but not least, option number five. We got a little bit of a bonus option for you because there was too many good ones this week. Drew Tranquil channeling his inner Darwin James, making a great tackle on Marvin Jones Jr. You know, came in low, wrapped up the legs. And then the thing is, when you when you kind of get your shoulder in the legs and you wrap up and then you lift, 
that's how you really want to do it. That's what coaches teach is don't just come in low. Get their feet off the ground so they can't do anything about it. And then physics does the rest. And Drew Tranquil just absolutely planted Marvin Jones. So great textbook tackle there. I, I, don't, know, I don't know what I would pick between all of these, by the way. They're all really good. They're very different. We have a diverse slate this week, which is fun. But the, the Drew Tranquil one was interesting because Jones was coming across the middle. He bobbled the pass. And he was trying to secure it, and he actually was turning back towards the quarterback, still juggling the ball. And he finally, after about three touches, secures it, and then Tranquil shows up and plants him. So his mind was on something else when he ended up in the turf. Uh, but as promised, the smooth story was at a party many years ago. Um, friend had a young child. I think she was about two. This is well before I had kids. And uh she was sipping a bottle and as often happens sometimes she got a little bit down the wrong pipe and i swear to god she stood in the middle of the room went <coughs> smooth <laughs> which her dad had taught her and i absolutely lost it i came unglued i looked at him and i was like really and he was like come on i was like that's it's brilliant it's brilliant Oh, God. All right. So those are all your nominees. You can vote down in the pinned comment below uh, for whichever one you like best. Uh, I, I, I might take a couple of days before I kind of figure out what my vote is because I, I still have yet to decide. But that all being said, only one segment left to go, and that is the Week 4 watch list. This one's pretty cut and dry. We have a few games on the docket that are really, at least on paper, should be barn burners. Jaguars, Eagles, both teams were featured in 3-up. Need no introduction. Both firing on all cylinders. You have two young quarterbacks that are playing out of their minds. Uh, you have two defensive fronts that are playing out of their minds. Eagles, I think, are the more uh, team with more star power, I should say. But at this point, if you're counting out Trevor Lawrence, that's on you. Huh? I'm wondering. I just saw a tweet, and I'm not recalling the specifics, but I think the Jaguars have been listed as a dog for either two weeks in a row or three weeks in a row, and they have the largest margin of victory over the last two or three weeks as a dog, like in history. Hmm. I can't believe that they're not going to come into this game as a dog. Oh, I bet. And remember, this is Doug Peterson's return to Philly. Right. Like, this so is a the, big game. The Peterson revenge game, but literally Jaguars dogs four weeks in a row if they win it? Like, okay. no. Just Never pay know. attention. Uh, second game on the list, Bills-Ravens. Uh, again, for obvious reasons, Bills, even when they're banged up, are one of the best teams in the entire NFL. And the Ravens, with Lamar, how he's playing, can beat anyone. Um, you know, they can also lose to anyone, as evidenced by the Miami game, when they blow some coverages in late in the fourth quarter. But Lamar is so damn good that Buffalo really needs to be on their P's and Q's because this thing could be a barn burner. And then Chiefs-Bucks. You got the goat versus the young goat, uh, Mahomes and Brady playing each other for what could potentially be the final time, unless both of them are going to make a Super Bowl run this year, which we haven't ruled out because it's Mahomes and Brady. But again, must-watch TV just on that alone. Uh, every time these guys play against each other, it's always a great game. Yeah, and Bills Ravens going to be interesting because Ravens have been struggling keeping their left tackle healthy or keeping their left tackle in the game. The Bills pass rush is not banged up 
um, the Bills' pass rush is fully healthy. That's that's going to be a challenge. But again, Lamar can sort of take this team on his back whenever he wants to run or pass. All of these are going to be great games. You know, there was a lot of really good matchups this week, and they didn't turn out the way we thought they did. So we ended up feeling like it was a really rough week because a lot of weird things happen. But man, I. I I put out a tweet yesterday. It's so many good storylines, and, and next week's going to be exactly the same. The NFL is undefeated in that category every week. There's something to watch on another angle. Like you said, Peterson's return to Philly. Like Just so many storylines upon storylines. It's, it's a ton of fun. All right, coming up on Film Room this week, uh, obviously I'm doing a video on this Miami game because I was there. Uh, it's going to be on the Dolphins' defense and how they've – adjusted to the Bills adjustments to their own adjustments kind of over the last three years. We're looking at 2020 tape, 2021 tape, and 2022 tape. Uh, now that I have the 2022 tape, I, I spent time this morning looking over that. So I'm literally about to go record uh, the second half of that film room. And that should be out ideally Thursday morning uh, on the day of our Dolphins live stream on this channel, uh, which again, we're going to be live streaming for Bengals Dolphins. Once again, brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. And that's going to go live half hour before kickoff, and we're rolling all the way through the end of the game. So ideally, that film room will be out that morning so that you guys can get a, uh, a better idea of what to look for going into that game. Cool. Bears over beers this week. I need to sift through the wreckage of Texans Bears. Uh, I told JB in no uncertain terms that he doesn't get Khalil Herbert this week because he picked David Montgomery as a salve last week during a terrible game as the best player for the Packers game. So I think, spoiler alert, I'll probably do Khalil Herbert this week, but uh, JB's going to be left to his own devices to find another player out of that mess to highlight for the All-22. But uh, we're having a lot of fun with Bears Over Beers this year as a A-22 highlight of one player and really breaking down their performance. Um, last week I chose Cole Komet and kind of burned him to the ground, so a lot of people were <laughs> upset about that. And did he do anything this week? He, uh, it's funny. Several, the answer is no. <laughs> several, several fans reached out to me and said, boy, you're right on. Like I watched more closely this week, especially as blocking reps. And we're sort of getting to that office space place where you go up to Cole Komet and say, so what is it you'd say you do here? Like, well, there was that time when you drafted me ahead of Antoine Winfield. Start with me. No, he actually he he played much better in the receiving game. And to be fair, he played well in the receiving game last week, and there were plays that weren't his fault, like Larry Borum got caved in and Justin didn't have a chance for a play that gets he schemed up and Komet was open on the quick out where the wide receiver basically ran a pick. It's not Komet's fault. It's not really Justin's fault. It's Larry Borum's fault, but that's that's the sort of nature of offense is if you have a breakdown in one place the other things that you drew up that look really good the guy's wide open you don't get to hit so uh should be an eventful week again uh, we got a film room coming we got bears over beers and we got the live stream on thursday and then we'll be back here next ideally tuesday uh, with our week four recap podcast so keep an eye out for that Thank you once again to our executive producers over on the Bootleg Football Patreon page. Marat, Consti, Caden, and Andrew. Couldn't do this without all you guys. Remember, check out the Bootleg Football Patreon if you would like to support us directly. Uh, or you can go support our fine sponsors like Prize Picks, 
and and really any of our daily show sponsors because uh, that's one of the best ways to support us is to support our sponsors so that they keep coming back so thank you everybody for watching and listening however you happen to be consuming and we will see you all very very soon later take care